It's not unusual for students to wait until the exams are almost upon them before revising. Don't stress, Dad, there's loads of time. It's certainly something that I heard a lot. And to be fair, I probably said it a fair amount too. For generations, teens have seen revision as that thing you do in the run-up to a test. It seems somehow baked into the word, doesn't it? Revising isn't just the act of studying what you've learnt, but it's some ill-defined time period. But is that really the best approach for our teens to give themselves the best chance of showing off what it is that they're capable of? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our second season of the podcast, we're following six students as they head towards their GCSEs in 2021. Each week, I catch up with these very different teams to see how they're going in a one-to-one coaching session. Then, with a panel of experts in our weekly podcast, we discuss some of the issues that come up. Now, these could be broad themes, such as motivation or managing mental health, or they could be quite focused, such as how to revise for a specific subject. These are normal teams, so you can be sure that we'll be covering topics that young people up and down the country will be facing. So, if you're a parent, carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, we're looking at revision. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Dawn Cox. Dawn is the head of religious studies at an Essex secondary school. Dawn is also a blogger, covering not just RE topics, but teaching and learning in general. And in particular, she has an interest in effective exam preparation. Dawn, thank you so much for joining me. This week, I had a really interesting catch up with Joe. Now Joe, like many students, has been getting his homework done He's been spending a bit of time revising topics at the weekend, maybe a little in the evening. But he's got his mocks coming up, and so he's now decided that he really needs to ramp up his efforts and start revising. Again, like many, he's concerned that these mocks might have more of a bearing on his final grade than in previous years. But what really caught my attention talking to Joe was that despite the confidence he should feel, having done all this work before, he still believes that there's a need to cram as much as he can before he enters the exam hall. I think I started revising properly about two weeks ago. Uh, But before that, I was trying to do little bits bits of work, but it was mostly just what work teachers were setting us for homework and said, like, uh, revise in the sort of background. Um, There is still a bit of a benefit to crying. I don't need to sort of remember as much. I still do the work, but then... The bits which I feel like I'll struggle to remember, then I can write down so then I can look at before the exam and then remember them. Dawn, is it human nature or some kind of ingrained custom that we learn to cram before an exam or assessment? I think it's something that people have traditionally done. I certainly did it myself and I guess in the past, teachers have kind of encouraged that by before an exam, before an assessment, our students to revise for it. So it's kind of set there, I guess, in, in tradition within schools that this is what you do before you have an exam, before you have an assessment to prepare for it. But I'm not necessarily convinced that it's the best way of doing things. I think the biggest problem with cramming is that it works. <laughs> and I think the problem is that it doesn't work as well as other ways of doing it. And because it does work, we can feel that and and we can feel some success when we cram. So I think that it's what people have always done and we've done it because it does work. It's difficult, isn't it? If there is an element of success to cramming, then 
why give yourself this dilemma of do I give up my free time now where I want to go out with my mates or play on my PS4 and give that up to study or do I do that and then cram and still get a result at the end? It's a, it's a hard sell, isn't it? Absolutely. It's not just for teenagers. I had an exam a year ago and I'm going to admit it, I crammed. <laughs> it's just what you, you kind of do. You know, life is busy and for teenagers, life is busy and it's kind of the easy way to do it. I think it, it's more effortful if you take a long, long-term approach to things. And actually, obviously, we tend to prioritise what's coming up in front of us, not, you know, in the coming weeks rather than maybe in a few months or even in secondary in a few years' time. We kind of prioritise what is urgent in front of us. And I think that kind of lies, is one of the problems that lies in cramming. But if I take your, what I'm going to call a confession, <laughs> that, you, <laughs> yeah. that, you, that you crammed for your own exams, mm. I'm, I'm going to throw you a lifeline. I'm presuming that that was on top of also studying over a longer period of time for it as well? Yes, I guess so. And, of course, there's this idea of between a novice and an expert, and I have some sort of expertise in, in the exam that I was, I was taking anyway. So it was a few kind of things that I crammed in the end. As a teacher, I think this is where my role comes in, that I can support my students by putting in that long-term strategy for them. Because actually, it's human nature to not be organised and to do that for most students and for most adults. And I think as teachers, we can put that structure in to really help students to see that kind of long-term benefit, as well as they might have the short-term benefit of cramming. But yeah, that kind of structure, I think, is really important. And also comes with the need to be motivated to do it as well, doesn't it? When you've got the exam looming, you've got the pressure, there's a deadline. So actually, it's easier to become focused on that one point in time. Now, for some students, that might be the night before, dread the thought, or it might be a couple of weeks or a couple of months before. But there is that, that focal point. Whereas if we're talking about children who are in year 10, maybe, or, or even in year 11, and we're not yet at Christmas, it can seem like it's very far away, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we, we deal with the things that are in front of us you know, and that seem urgent. And yeah, May, June seems a long time away at the moment. Yeah, that's just the way that I think we all work, really. And also what we're seeing, certainly with students at the moment, and I'm thinking more year 11, obviously definitely year 10, is that they're also still getting homework. Now, this is quite an exceptional year. There are gaps in the teaching time, so some content still being dealt with. But how do we reconcile, as parents, sort of the encouraging children to do a bit of revision on top of their normal homework if teachers are setting homework as well? Well, that's interesting because from a teacher point of view, I think that every homework that we set should actually be a form of revision anyway. So that kind of reduces that kind of impact for my students. I never tell my students to revise because I know that the homework that I set them, in the second lesson of GCSE, we start GCSE in year nine, is revision. So I've actually put that in there for them. So before exams, I don't ever, I don't use the word revision. I don't tell them to do anything more because we've been doing it over a long period of time. Now, I accept that might be quite unusual. <laughs> I think it is quite difficult, as you say, if colleagues are still setting homework, which is, you know, normal kind of classroom tasks or, or what they'd normally set for homework and expecting more. There's only a certain amount of hours in the day and some students are studying 10 GCSEs and I'm not sure how reasonable it is to kind of expect students to be able to do that. I think 
the best thing is if you're you're going to try and have to do homework and revision is that you look at what would be the best techniques and strategies for that time that you do have to use it effectively rather than use strategies that again you might think are useful but actually they might not be as helpful as other strategies for example. Just picking up on what you were saying about how as a teacher you don't set revision as homework because your homework is exam preparation. Have we got to a point then where we're talking semantics over the difference between homework or studying and revision? Is is the problem wrapped up in the word? Yeah, I think so. You know, revision is typically traditionally seen as something as you do before your exam. You do that at the kind of in the last part of the preparation. And I think my point of view is actually if we embed that revision from day one in what we're doing in the classroom as, as teachers and as part of homeworks, then actually it kind of shifts that focus. It doesn't really matter what you want to call it. I avoid the word revision because I know the connotations it has with the students for this kind of short-term cramming. It is semantics, really, but I think it's important because if we change our language around preparing for exams and the work we do, I think it can make a real difference on students. I agree completely. And certainly as a parent, I can see that. Approaching a conversation, rather, of shouldn't you be revising for your exams is all about, well, no, there's loads of time left. Whereas actually, if what we're looking at is shouldn't you be studying these topics or revisiting or spending a bit more time on your homework or, or something that isn't that revision piece, then you can see how that might become sort of less barriers going up. I think one of the things that's important for the students and for parents ideally is that they're aware of which strategies that can be used so rather than saying shouldn't you be revising saying have you tested yourself on your 10 chemistry cards today and you know revision cards so actually it's much more specific than saying this generic have you done your revision I mean what does that mean and actually if parents can be supportive in being very specific well actually you've made these 10 revision cards just spend five minutes testing yourself on them, you know, and even offer to help if possible. I think that's much more useful than this kind of weighty word of revision, which can kind of be this heavy weight. Oh, I need to revise, but I'm going to wait with colleagues as well. I think it's really important that we're very specific. If we want to say to students, revise, actually, that we give them specific tasks and specific strategies to do that. So I will always say to them, make your 10 revision cards and test yourself and, and go through strategies for using the revision cards or complete this quiz and keep completing the quiz until you get full marks. So really specific strategies. That is really interesting. Thinking back to the time that Jake was doing his GCSEs and you're right, we'd have had homework, he'd have had homework that was along the lines of revise for Macbeth test we'll do on Friday. And so he'd come back and he might possibly reread some of his notes or he might watch a YouTube video on something it wasn't as you say looking back and, and from what we've heard from other guests on on the podcast these weren't effective strategies they weren't the retrieval approach that he could have been using it would be much more effective and certainly I think a lot of parents out there would say that they just don't see that their children know how to revise no one has taught them how to study independently I guess we should start saying more than revise do you think that would be overcome by teachers being much more specific about the kinds of 
techniques and strategies that they want them to use for a revision session? Absolutely. And I think that the best way that we can try to get students to become independent in these strategies is if we model them as early as possible with students. You know, at secondary, starting in year seven, modelling, well, what makes good retrieval practice? You know, how can you use revision cards effectively? How can you use self-quizzing effectively? And if you embed that, we know that all students won't become independent learners. But the more and more we embed that, the more and more we model that, the more and more used to it, so that it doesn't become a new strategy where you're going to, just before an exam, is this something you've always done? Oh, I'm just going to do some more of what we've always done. And I think that can really help the student. I'm very much about trying to make exams and assessments not be an exception, but actually just be an extension of the norm. And that's what I really try to promote with my students. You're not doing anything different because you've been doing it and, and you don't need to worry by doing anything else because we've been doing it as we've been going along. Mm. Which is a, a really noble aim, isn't it? Because then you can get to the point where students love learning, they appreciate sort of this metacognition stuff that we've heard about again in, in previous episodes. But also, aren't you up against sort of a really big like elephant in the room in that exams are still one moment in time? And so... Actually, that's going to be the thing that will, the GCSEs in, in this case, that will define their secondary education. This is their jumping off point. So it's difficult, isn't it, to sort of encourage them out of what seems like really ingrained thinking. And teachers have that ingrained thinking as well. And so do parents. You know, this is really, really important. And actually, we should be doing something. And, you know, and it's kind of a big rush. One of the things that I pride myself on by using these strategies is that the students say that they are confident I'm not going to use the word relaxed but impossibly kind of more relaxed than they are possibly in other subjects because they know that I'm confident in what we've done over the three years is enough for them to do really well and I think you know in exam times we always see in the news about how students mental health is affected by exams and I think that's because of the language that can be used by teachers by parents and by the students themselves and I think that we can help to reduce this, any sort of exam anxiety by kind of making a long term game. And, and to me, you know, lesson one of GCSE, I'm not saying that I teach just for the exam. You know, there's a real careful balance here that it's not day one. Oh, this is really important. Of course, it's important. But actually, it's a kind of to me, it's a drip feed approach that across the three years, and we're going to have done this so many times and you'll have repeated it so many times. You're just going to want to go in that exam and do it. And that's how they feel. And, and they tell me that they don't feel anxious about going into my exam because we've been preparing for this for a long, long time, not a short amount of time. But also I get a sense from what it is, from what you're saying, that actually the exam is almost a natural accumulation point. We've done this over three years, so there is nothing to worry about just simply because you have whereas to cover content over two and a half years and then revise like mad for a term to sit in an exam actually starts to feel that much more high stakes approach to the examination which so many people criticize absolutely i find it difficult to understand if teachers know of the research about memory and and learning how they could kind of still do that because actually it's much more effective to do it over the long term and use widely spaced repetitions 
rather than, you know, cramming it all at the end. As we said before, the benefits of cramming kind of make it almost addictive. It's unfortunate if, and it is important, if the exam is the important bit, then a sense of cramming for it is still going to be effective. But if the point of schooling and education is to develop something more than a collection of numbers and letters at the end of it, then actually, as you say, an approach to learning is is really what we want our children to come away with. So I'm really interested to pick up on that spacing that you talked about. Can you explain to me a bit more about this spaced practice and, and how it ties in, as I understand it, to sort of the forgetting curve? Okay, so there's been kind of research about how our memory works and how we easily forget things. And one of the classic research papers that's referenced is Ebbinghaus, well over 100 years ago. And He did some research, actually he did it with himself, learning nonsense syllables, and he found that as soon as he learned something, he instantly began forgetting it within 20 minutes. And that kind of reduced, or his forgetting increased almost exponentially. He thought about it, and and obviously that's not what you want. You don't want, when you learn something, to instantly kind of forget it. And the space learning idea is that we can stop that forgetting from occurring so rapidly if we, over certain periods of time, retrieve it, remember it, recall it, bring it back into short-term memory from long-term memory. There's kind of been different research to support what Ebbinghaus found. And the suggestions are that if you can space repetitions over an increasing space of time, that that actually will help in the long-term memory. So, for example, if you were to learn something in your lesson today, as soon as possible, really, to retrieve that. Now, some teachers might do that within the lesson period. So, you know, they've talked about something at the beginning of the lesson and then at the end, okay, let's just remember. And then kind of within a couple of days, within a week, within a couple of weeks, within a month, and you can see that that time kind of increases. So if we're talking about an exam that is way ahead of time, and for us it's three years, it's a three-year GCSE, I need to think, well, when I teach that in day one of year nine, they need to remember that in the exam in year 11, how are my spaced retrievals going to happen? How am I going to make sure that they've covered, that they've retrieved this enough times to help them to remember for it to go in their long-term memory? There is some research that suggests that about six times it should be repeated before it goes into long-term memory, but I don't think that's kind of a fixed thing. It's a, a suggestion. So... If we're thinking about what we learn in school today, how many times are we going to retrieve that before the exam? And if it's all this week, unfortunately, that's too close together. The spaced repetitions need to be in increasing spaces. So presumably then, if a course is three years and you've learnt it, September, first lesson, we'll talk to your religious studies teacher. So if we've done a bit of Christianity in day one and that could come up in the exam, If you're not weaving that in and coming back to it, either the student independently or the teacher in class, then presumably that's why schools leave these revision periods, because in effect, in the run up to exams without space learning, you effectively need to cover the entire course as quickly as you can. I mean, all of it, three three years worth in half a term or so. Yeah, I think it comes down to what we were talking about before, about the kind of the meaning of the words here, and we're talking about learning. Well, actually, learning doesn't happen in one lesson. Learning happens over a period of time. So, yes, you had an encounter with that information in, in one lesson, but actually for you to learn it, it's that repetitions over time. So, as you say, I think this kind of revision at the end of a course isn't actually revision 
it's probably relearning. It's encountering maybe just for the second time, but because you didn't stop that forgetting curve in the first place, they probably don't remember it. So it's just reteaching. It's relearning, reteaching, as you say, in a much shorter amount of time. But I love that, the idea that actually it's not revision, it's relearning. And I think that does, that really does encapture actually so much of what I experienced with Jake was that stuff that, and he was taught, well, his teachers were good teachers, they were engaged, and, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't thought about, I guess. And so when he came to study for a test or study for the mocks, which is obviously a current for many students at the moment, it's actually a case of looking back over notes that they may have started in year nine or year 10, even the beginning of the year, and re-educating themselves as to what that entire topic was about. It's amazing how we think that that's a good idea, because as I said, you know, some students have got 10 subjects to do that. And, you know, the reason why we have a two-year course or a three-year course is because we need that time to learn it. And yeah, that's putting immense pressure. No wonder students get stressed out. <laughs> especially with content rich exams and we know that the GCSEs are a sort of more content heavy now than they've been certainly recently was it when I was doing them apparently as my son has told me he had to do more than I did <laughs> if only that were true <laughs> um, so actually the cramming is a hiding to nothing isn't it because you just can't possibly do it there's a reason why you've got that much time to do it in the first place and I think that's where we talk about in education about gaps between students and I think all cramming does is basically creates a bigger gap between those students who you might call I don't know natural learners or you know who who can naturally do well and those that can't and actually I think the more that we can support students to not kind of rely on the cramming actually the, the smaller the gap would be between attainment between different students and that's essentially what we want in education that students get the best outcome not the students that are most supported or might naturally whatever that means be able to do the revision you want all students to do well one of the things i was interested in is why some things stick more in memory why we would remember one thing more than we might remember another thing and if there's any rhyme or reason to that that encoding bit so you talked about having ideally to encounter something or learn something six times as a number but in order for it to go into long-term memory but there are some things that you'll encounter once and you go, I remember that. Is there any pattern to it? I've not read a lot into it, but I do know that there are some things that will stick that's not just through repetition, through things that are unusual, for example, might stick in your head more. So depending on how it was taught, you know, if something funny happens in a lesson and you remember that lesson, you might also remember that lesson. Oh, that's the lesson when we were doing this. And there is some research that actually that kind of this unexpected idea that if something unexpected happens, that that can help with memory. But of course, as teachers, we can't make every lesson like that because otherwise it wouldn't be unique because, you know, you'd be like a clown, really, wouldn't you, falling around and, and doing silly things. So I think that, yeah, there is research that there are other ways of things getting into our memory. But I think the kind of the easiest in a way and the most logical way to do it is through the repetition. You can't make everything unique because if everything was unique, nothing would be unique. And I guess also understanding that what will provide that stickiness for the want of a, a better word for one student might not be the same kind of trigger for another so coming back to a sound reasoned approach to learning and embedding and 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 being able to retrieve is going to be the method that will work best across the board yeah absolutely i think it's it, yeah as i said it will close any sort of gaps between those that kind of might be able to do that naturally and those that might not 
it's a great leveler. I love the idea that language actually is is a major driver in that, and certainly as a parent, reflecting on the way that I approached revision with Jake and what's changed now in the way that I approach it with my daughter, I can absolutely see that that small nuances in what I said, how I said it, when I said it, have made a big, big difference. But going back to something you talked about before was also organisation and I think the sense of routine that we can see routinely that students and teachers encourage revision what are the kinds of things that we look to do to encourage beyond the language students to adopt a more disciplined approach earlier? Start these strategies in year seven. So whenever they've learned something new, transform it into something else. I always, always recommend kind of using revision cards effectively. So to try to put in a strategy as soon as possible. I've been looking with my coach at school about metacognition and getting students to talk about those processes that we that you're using. And I, I'm trying to do that more because I know that I use all these strategies and I do explain to them. I even show them Ebbinghaus uh, forgetting curve and, and I go through kind of the research with them. But actually, I think the more along the way we talk about it, OK, why are we doing this quiz? OK, why is this homework a quiz? The more and more we talk about it along the way, I think the better it is and the more chance that students will become independent with it. And then, of course, the more independent they can get with it, then it, it kind of, I guess the easier it is for parents in the long term because students, hopefully, will become sort of more natural uh, students in, in being able to do that. So it's kind of as early on as possible using the strategies that you can just carry on doing them, repeating them. Every time you learn new content, you can use similar strategies to help out. I really love that idea of talking to them about actually why so talking actually showing them the forgetting curve to, to sort of get them on board and as someone who's come from a corporate background then actually I, I know that we do this a lot with other adults that actually rather than just telling you exactly what you need to do because I know it's going to be best for you I will bring you along a journey I will talk to you about why it's important and show you those kinds of things as parents I don't think we really do that very much I think we we tend to know what's best either through our own experiences or almost instinctively. And certainly when they're younger, year seven, we would just sort of sit them down. Right now is the time to do your homework. Just sit down and, and let's get it done. Rather than explaining the sort of comparative importance of actually why it's important to do that more than do something else. And then look at the long-term benefits as well. You'd hope that it could be kind of like a joint effort from school and from parents, but obviously that relies on both parties kind of knowing this stuff and, and knowing the research. And I think actually it's easy to think when you look on social media and the teacher world that people know all about this research, but I'm not convinced that everyone does. So you'd have to have a really well-informed parent who would know that if the, if the teachers didn't really. It's not very humble to suggest that all of our parent listeners are well informed. <laughs> and that we have had some we've had some fantastic guests that have been talking about these things. And absolutely I know exactly what you mean, having found them as we did with you on Twitter and you see this sort of hashtag edu Twitter world. Um, and as a parent rather than as a teacher, it's really interesting to see that. But it does become very echo chamber like. There are people furiously agreeing about the benefits of retrieval. And actually, you need to take a moment to, as an, an outside observer to think, but if, if this were a true reflection of how all teachers were, 
then people wouldn't be marvelling at it because it would just be being done. And so there is, I guess, ironically, an education process that we would need to be looking at with, within schooling, which it seems to be the case. More teacher training providers are kind of looking at this sort of stuff with trainees. So it's, it's a process, it's with, with anything, it will come through and, and, and hopefully one day it will be the norm that students will have this kind of from day one and that teachers will embed this kind of idea of long-term learning rather than the short-term cramming. But in the meantime, for any parents listening who aren't experiencing this kind of thing with their own children and a sort of an open conversation with the teacher about about what it is that they think should be done or questions, uh, questioning why why aren't you teaching my child in the way that I heard someone talk about on a podcast? <laughs> probably oh <dear. laughs> probably won't go down well at a parent's evening, I'm, I'm fairly sure. How would you go about asking that question of a teacher if you didn't think it was being done like this? Yeah, I mean, that's really tricky, isn't it? I think if you're aware enough to be able to ask the questions of a teacher, then actually maybe you're aware enough to start putting this retrieval in at home <laughs> for your child and not necessarily have to rely on the teacher to do that. So the teacher can be teaching them the content and then, you know, say to your child when they come home, here's five revision cards, write down five things that you learned today and we'll test. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tricky, isn't it? Teachers will always have their rationale for the homework they set, the work that they're doing and the things they're doing. So maybe just a discussion about that and, you know, what are the plans? I don't want them to be kind of stressed by exam time. What techniques can you recommend? And I guess it's a kind of an open conversation, really. I really do like that idea of just coming back and adopting something with your child. They've been at school and I'm a big fan of schools and teaching as a way of imparting knowledge and disseminating the, well, the curriculum and everything that comes with it and always have been. But there was definitely an awful lot of time that my child isn't at school when they need to cement that knowledge, when it needs to be sort of embedded for themselves, but also the skills that they're going to need about independent learning and discipline routine, all these kinds of things that they're going to need after the exams. So actually spending time as a parent, knowing your child, to help embed them, she seems like a really winning move and not counter to what's happening at school. Mm, absolutely. Again, it's important that parents, where possible, can focus on the right thing because, of course, some of the, the strategies that people think is revising, just reading through notes, uh, you know, research suggests isn't the most effective thing. So your child could be looking busy at the dining room table reading through their notes and have their chemistry and their physics in front of them. And as a parent, you might feel satisfied. Oh, they're definitely doing their work. You know, they've got all these complicated notes. But actually, is it effective? Is, are they spending their time doing things that are going to help them in the long term? And I think that's a really great thing if parents can kind of identify, actually, what, what are you doing? How's that going to help you with your learning? What's going to be the best strategy here for, for remembering this and, and for learning this? Again, it comes back to that idea that your child is becoming increasingly independent. And as we heard in our very, very first podcast, the role of a parent is to create life that can survive without them. So sitting down and doing this for the children, let me, let me write your essays, let me tell you what the best thing to do is, actually is counterproductive. Because when the little angels eventually fly the nest, they're going to need to be able to do things independently. And of course, then they'll have children, you might expect, and go on to do this for themselves. So actually taking a stance as a parent where you're coaching to say, let's have a look at what the options are. Why do you think this one's working for you? more than another route is a really good discovery journey if you like. I guess the earlier you can do it as you say in that kind of coaching model then actually the less you'll probably have to do later on because actually you know as they 
turning to teenagers and if they go on to do further study they will have embedded those skills and actually it will make them a better learner so it, it, again it's the, the long-term gain of learning across life certainly to my mind this isn't about being a pushy parent and driving a child to attain great things and reach higher numbers and letters and all of that kind of thing it's about them doing as well as they can because that's going to be important for them but also as you said from outset actually there's a really important well-being piece here that if you save up 90% of your course content to the last two weeks in May you're going to feel stressed because it's it's overwhelming. So being able to find these kinds of strategies and adopting the techniques now actually has a much longer term play for well-being. We don't have sick form at, at my school, but I kind of pride myself, I guess, in that the things that I'm doing for the students now will actually help them if they go on to sick form, if they go on to college, because actually I'm kind of trying to embed with them the things that actually maybe when they get to sixth form or college and certainly university, lecturers aren't going to kind of sit there going, let's go through how to revise, let's go through how to study. You know, they're expecting them to come to, to go there, kind of knowing how to do that. So I think kind of we're, we're helping them and with that and of course that will reduce stress kind of later on for A-levels if they do A-levels and for further study. So yeah, I, I think it, it's really, really important. And it's, it's not just this kind of idea that we're just learning for exams. It's this long-term gain. You know, I, I believe that I'm preparing my students if they wanted to, to go on to A-level religious studies, even though I'm not teaching them that. I want them to be good religious studies students. And in that, they've got their kind of toolkit of, of their study skills that they can use, even if I'm not there doing it with them, even if their next teacher might not be able to do it with them. But they can think, oh, we did that with Miss Cox. I'm going to do that now. I'd be really happy if students could do that. And also presumably becoming students beyond that subject as well. So the approaches to learning that they're picking up from your classes, the presumably enjoyment of love of learning as well. These are the kinds of things that are transferable across subjects, across different year groups and, and into the, the world of work as, as we are going to increasingly need to become lifelong learners and picking up stuff. So it's not just that actually what you're doing now is for is for religious studies but but much broader than that absolutely and i think that the more structure that can be in place the less stress there is because if you know what you're doing and and you know why you're doing it then the more confident you will be and that will reduce stress in itself i, I really think so and parents and teachers can reduce that stress towards the end towards exams and assessments by putting in the the kind of the effort and the support the whole way through we've definitely seen that that actually there's an awful lot when you can be very specific about what needs to be done and the child the teen feels that they're in control of that process actually then they are more confident and i think like you i wouldn't want to go as far as relaxed but it is there's a an aspect of that confidence that means that they are more receptive i guess and actually seem to then become much more productive because so much of their brain power isn't taken up by by anxiousness and by worry. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure some of your other guests have talked about cognitive load and how actually, you know, our brain can only cope with certain things, a certain amount of things at a certain time. And if it's concerned with worry and concerned with anxiety, then actually you're limiting kind of the things that they need in an exam, which is to retrieve things from their long-term memory to be able to write about them. And actually we want to make their brain as clear as possible, I guess, in a way so that they're just focusing on that thing without it being too intense or, or stressful for them. Which I guess brings us full circle. And another reason why cramming actually isn't a healthy approach is because 
if your cognitive load is overwhelmed by the amount of facts and figures and knowledge that you've crammed into it over a short term, actually that one piece that otherwise you might have been able to retrieve from some obscure lesson in year nine was less likely to come to the fore because, as you say, you've clogged yourself up with this more immediate stuff. Yeah, which is why we need to think carefully about well, what happens in those final months in terms of student time. You know, if they're in school having, I don't know, four, five, six lessons a day, and then in revision classes for one, two hours, and then going home to do homework, and then they've got to do some revision, how is this actually going to work well for their for their memory and for their mental health? I, I just think that actually the more we can chunk that up across time, the much better it's going to be for them. And that actually, for me, I don't give my students anything more towards the end of year 11 than at the beginning of year 11. Their homework is kind of, as I said, always the same. And I think it's just keeping that slow and steady that's really, really important for their cognitive load for their memory and for their mental health do you think there's always going to be sort of this crescendo towards as we get to the exams or idealistically do you see that actually you can you can really avoid that if every teacher were approaching it in the way that you were would you avoid the need for this revision intervention across the board it's easy for me to say i know that there are some schools that don't put extra kind of revision classes and things on my school we do focus on this kind of idea of retrieval and spaced learning. As you say, if we all did it in the kind of in the same way across the years, would it make any difference? I, I think it would. I think it would be have a huge, huge impact on students. The one unknown for me is I don't really know what students are doing when they get home for my subject. I don't know that. And what I want to do is kind of almost put that unknown to one side put in everything that I can over a long period of time. So even if they want to go home and, and do some cramming, it's, it's a double whammy for me because I know that I've had that spaced retrieval. And if they want to do some extra revision or, you know, that, then that's fine. I also want them to know that they don't have to. They don't have to. And yeah, I think hypothetically, if everybody talked that in the same way and used the same strategies, I think that the students could potentially do exceptionally well. But there will always be that, as you say, that kind of crescendo at the end. But I don't change what I do. <laughs> I'm still teaching them the lesson before their exam. And it's just normal. I don't intensify any of my phrasing and say, oh, this is urgent. Oh, we've only got four months. I, I just don't do it <laughs> i genuinely actually can't picture it although i do love it i, lo <laughs> I love the idea that actually it's just business you, the exam is just a moment in time it's just a thing lessons as usual we're not going to revise but at the same time i do also I do also wonder where if more teachers or if the practice of having a, a longer term view of studying and revising were adopted at home as well whether actually those last few weeks months um after the curriculum course had been covered, could also be then used to focus on any of the problem areas where retrieval had shown that maybe something hadn't been embedded or encoded as well as it could do, or there were particular areas of maths that, that needed to be revisited for particular students. Could the time be more productively used by looking at, I suppose, a more specific programme rather than a broader crash course in, in the whole of the content? There was a time a couple of years ago where I did have a spare couple of weeks, but I still embedded the retrieval practice principles. So say I had four weeks left before the exam. The first topic I went through in that first week, 
I still did the space retrieval because I don't want them to suddenly forget it. The principles are still there. It just so happens that it was a four week period. So then I made sure I repeated it again the next time I saw them and a week after and then two weeks and then again uh, before the exam. So I think the principles still applied. If you are still going to do that period, I think that kind of as much as you can, that space repetition should still apply. Not a linear view. We've got four weeks. We're going to go through beginning to the end. I think actually it's much better use of time that you might get through less content. But actually, I think that through using those spaced repetitions, that they will remember more from that small period of time. Dawn, thank you so much for sharing your insights and advice with us today. Revision is just a word. On the surface, we might take it to mean going over the content so that we're prepared for exams. But deeper than that, it's laden with connotations about techniques and this idea that it's a comparatively short period of time before a test. Strange, isn't it, that our teens might balk at the suggestion of randomly revising for something, but might not object to take a quick quiz on some previously prepared flashcards, maybe on a topic they did a couple of weeks ago. While I'm not suggesting that your child will get excited about the prospect, it's definitely likely to be met with much less resistance. But ultimately, it amounts to the same thing, helping students to recall what's been learnt. Language has made this a really sensitive area for most. Revision is that thing you have to do. It's tedious, monotonous and reserved until nearer the time. But in actual fact, what we heard from Dawn is that revision in its truest sense can be happening all the time. Revisiting the content that's been taught at school to make sure that it's properly embedded is what most homework should be about. For me, there was a bit of a eureka moment when Dawn was talking about relearning. Spaced learning is something that we can all instinctively get. We just forget things over time. But what's interesting is to find out that we can slow that forgetting curve by challenging our memory and making ourselves call it from our long-term memory at intervals. As Dawn was explaining, once encoded, it should be revisited shortly after, and then again at longer intervals, without coming back to the content that was first covered at the beginning of a two or three year course, any so-called revision session before an exam won't be as much about recall as it will be about learning it all over again. And as we've heard from many guests in the past, these exams are so rich and full of content that it couldn't possibly be learnt in the space of a, a couple of months. Especially when a child might have eight or nine subjects to cover, it's important to recognise that slow and steady is going to win this race. As Dawn said from outset, the problem with cramming is that it's not without its success, which might seem like an odd thing to say, but what we need to bear in mind are those major issues that come with it. For example, there's no way of covering that full course in a, in a short amount of time. It can clog up a student's brain due to the ideas around cognitive load. And most significantly, it can lead to high levels of anxiety and stress. The alternative, as Dawn explained it, is to turn that idea of revision on its head. Start early. Think of revision more as consolidating learning. Through organisation and routine, it's much easier to encourage our children to study. So how can we go about introducing this? Not calling it revision is probably a good place to start and avoid all those negative connotations. What I also really loved was Dawn's suggestion of talking about the why 
of different approaches. It's not simply to get good results, but it's also to get into good habits. Talk about some of the headline science behind forgetting or spaced learning or retrieval practice. This doesn't have to be too heavy, but explaining the benefits beyond the grades, something that might not be motivating without the looming deadline of an exam, is what will make the difference between adopting and resisting. And the other successful ploy I found is just to make a start. It doesn't take long for self-directed study to become that thing we do. It's a bit like cleaning your teeth before going to school. It's just an accepted part of the routine. And as parents, this is absolutely something that we should want for our children's futures. Not only does this change in approach help them to be better prepared for their exams, increase their confidence and so on, but it gives them the right tools and approaches to tackling the tasks, projects or problems that they will inevitably face in life beyond education and exams. Thank you for listening. I'm sure you'll agree that was a really interesting and useful episode. If it has made you think differently, would you take a moment to leave a review? And if it's not too cheeky to ask, a five-star rating. It really helps us to reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, always encourage you to share the link to this and other episodes with your friends too. That's always very much appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.